0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are a lot of myths in the world today. I did a quick internet search while I was writing the sermon to uh, explore a few of them. Here are some that you might know. Uh, One of them is this, bulls get angry when they see the color red. Simply not true. Uh, Goldfish only have a three-second memory. Actually, it's far longer than that. Another one, maybe your mother told you this one, when you swallow chewing gum, it stays in your stomach for seven years. It's not true. Another myth you've probably heard before is that ostriches stick their heads in the sand at the first sign of danger. Again, that is simply not true. However, that myth has become so widespread that it has become a well-known saying to describe human behavior. When humans face something uncomfortable, fearful, or something we just plain don't like, the tendency we have is to avoid it or to ignore it. And that behavior is called sticking your head in the sand. Now, maybe you're wondering at this point, why am I bringing this up? Well, we might be tempted to do this very thing when it comes to the Bible's teaching about our sin and misery and God's judgment upon sin. It's uncomfortable. We might not like to hear it, and so perhaps we'd rather just ignore it. After all, here we are again at the beginning of the catechism. The first main section of the catechism is right there in bold letters above Lord's Day 2, our sin and misery. Again, part of us may wish we could just skip this section of the catechism. It sounds so negative. However, we study this teaching for a number of important reasons. Firstly, Even though some of you may have been studying these Lord's Days for the 50th time or more, some of the children among us are hearing it for the very first time. And each new generation needs to hear the ABCs of the Christian faith, and this is one of them. And even if you are older, and have heard this lots before, you never outgrow uh, the need to hear these important truths. The second reason why we study our sin and misery is that understanding these things is the only real way to experience the peace and the joy of the gospel. Yes, studying what Scripture teaches about our sin and God's judgment may bring temporary discomfort and even pain. But as we move on from there to our salvation in Christ— It's meant to bring us lasting joy and peace. So as I preach you God's Word this afternoon, I'll do so under the following theme. In order to experience the peace and joy of the gospel, we first need to know our sin and misery. And We'll look at, first of all, knowing our sin and misery, and secondly, experiencing the peace and joy of the gospel. Now, at the end of Lord's Day 2, we read these sobering words, Can we keep the law of God perfectly? The answer is no. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. And then, when we go to Lord's Day 3, it doesn't get any better either. There we confess. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? And the answer is yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. No, it can't get much worse than that. But we still might wonder, is the fallen human condition really that bad, inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor? Is the confession we have here really correct? But here's one thing we must understand about our sinful condition. The fall into sin has affected our ability to detect sin. The sinful human heart is not able to properly see sin. Also the sin in our own hearts. In fact, our sinful human heart easily deceives us. It can make us think everything is okay with our spiritual condition when the reality is quite the opposite. Perhaps an illustration will help here. I think of a security system installed in a bank to protect it from being robbed. There are security cameras hanging from the ceiling, monitoring every space in the bank. There are various sensors that will trip at the slightest movement when the system is set at nighttime. And the main vault is equipped with an alarm that instantly goes off when someone breaks in. However, imagine that some bank robbers are able to hack into that security system. They make sure they go undetected during their nighttime bank robbery. They play some blank footage through the security camera computers, making it look like no one is in the building. They trick the sensors, making them unable to see their movements. They also disable the alarm so that it doesn't go off when they break into the bank vault. And to the security system, Everything seems fine, and the robbers are in there stealing the money. What's the only thing that can uncover the robbery now? Well, if you rely on the security system, the robbers will get away. A person on the outside needs to come to the bank to see what they're doing. And imagine now, a security guard makes his rounds at night and passes by the bank. To his surprise, he sees some people in there, they're up to no good. By coming to the bank from the outside, he's able to alert the police to the robbery that's going on in there. It's sort of the same thing with the fall into sin. Through the fall into sin, sin has entered into our hearts and and filled our hearts. Not only does that incline us towards all evil, but it also hinders our ability to properly detect sin. It's like those robbers who disable the security system to keep them from being detected. And that is why many people in the world can confess they're basically good people when the reality is far different. What then do we need to properly see our own sin? We need an outside source to come to us and tell us how bad our condition really is. And that is one reason why God has given us his law. It reveals sin. Maybe sin that we didn't know was there. As we confess at the beginning of Lord's Day 2, from where do you know your sin and misery? The answer is from the law of God. So we cannot trust our own heart when it comes to seeing right and wrong. Rather, we trust God's law and what it says. Listen to what the Spirit says through Paul in Romans three. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Right? God gave the law, and through that law comes our knowledge of sin. And as he says in Romans seven, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, "You shall not covet." So the law of God is that outside source that comes to us to show us how bad things really are. And that's because our fallen hearts will easily blind us to our own sin. But God's law reveals the sin that's already there. Now, what does God's law require of us? Ask Lord's Day 2. The answer is this. Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is the outside source revealing to us a sin in our hearts and lives. However, even with this standard, part of us still might not realize the depth of our sin. You know, we might falsely believe that you know, we can do this. We can do it. That we can love God with our whole heart, soul, and mind. And that we do love our neighbor just as we love ourselves. But you know what? It's only fooling ourselves. It's kind of like men when they're watching professional sports or the Olympics. There's something in every male that says to himself, you know what? I can do this too. If I were in that game, I could compete. But you know what? You can't. You're only fooling yourself. It's the same thing with God's law. The standard is too high. Part of us thinks we can fulfill this standard of loving God with all of our being, but we can't. Again, to see this, we only need to turn to other parts of Scripture. Look for a moment at the parable Jesus told in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Now, it is true. The main reason Jesus told this parable was to teach us that we ought always, we have to always forgive our brothers and sisters from the heart. However, the details of this parable also teach us something profound about the subject we are studying this afternoon, our sin and misery before God. The Lord Jesus tells a parable like this, "'The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents.' And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Now the amount of debt this man had was astronomical. You may have a note in your Bible that says a talent was an amount of money worth 20 years of wages. That's just one talent. And this man owed his master 10,000 talents. According to my calculations, that's 200,000 years' worth of wages. Well, guess what? That's a lot of debt. he will never pay it off. It's like Jesus is saying, the servant owed the king a million trillion dollars. And the king in this parable, of course, represents God. But here we must ask, whom does this servant with so much debt represent? Perhaps we want to say, well, it's just someone who has done lots of really bad stuff in life. Someone like Hitler. But that would be a mistake. That would miss the point of Jesus' teaching. Notice to whom Jesus told this parable. It was his disciples. Notice that he told it in response to a question from Peter. Peter asked, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Notice finally the concluding statement Jesus makes from this parable, the unforgiving servant. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In other words, listen, all my disciples, Peter included, you all need to forgive the debts of those who sin against you because your own debt God forgave you was this high. Sky high. It's more than you can really count. The truth is, this goes for all of us. Remember, Jesus isn't only telling this parable to a select group of extra sinful people. No, Christ speaks this message to everyone who reads or hears this parable. The application is universal. We must all forgive in this way. And that's also because the problem of sin is universal. Everyone has this astronomical debt before God. We cannot get around that fact. We are all supposed to forgive because we all have this monster debt with God that's been forgiven. And so make no mistake about it, Jesus is teaching you here That you too have this same debt with God, whether you realized it or not. It's that outside source coming to us, revealing to us just how bad it is. And here's the thing you know, you have no hope of ever repaying it yourself. The reality is, you only daily increase your debt. When you read this parable, you should think to yourself, wow, I had no idea it was that bad. This is my debt with God, too. And again, here's the really bad news, and the reason why we need to study this from Scripture. If your debt with God is not taken care of, you will suffer the penalty. And that penalty, is spending an eternity in hell. I need to tell you that. That is the undeniable truth we all cannot ignore. You know, don't stick your head in the sand about your own sin and God's judgment on sin. It will do no good to try to ignore it or wish it away. You know, that's what some people try to do with financial debt live in a sort of fantasy land hoping that their money, uh, their monetary debt will somehow just disappear. The trouble is, reality will come knocking sooner or later. And it's the same thing with our debts with God. Don't live in the same kind of fantasy land trying to ignore it or wishing it away or acting like it's not there. It is. And so that leaves us with one of two choices. You can ignore this message and harden your heart toward it. You can reject the truth about your debt of sin before God. But in the end, you will pay for your debts then. And you will be like this unforgiving servant who will never finish that payment. So why would you ever do that? Now, why would any of you uh, reject this and perish forever? The other option, and the infinitely better one, is to accept this reality. Acknowledge what the Lord Jesus and the rest of Scripture teaches us. We have this mountain of debt of sin that we have with God. None of us can claim eternal life on our own performance. Instead, what we must do is plead for God's mercy. Seek God's grace and forgiveness. That brings us to our second point. You know, it might sound difficult to acknowledge this debt is yours. But the reality is, it really is liberating. It finally frees you to seek God's salvation in Jesus Christ and it's a salvation that brings with it joy and peace. Remember what we confess in Lord's Day 1. Yes, we have our beautiful confession that we belong to Christ. But then we have question and answer to, what do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? The first thing we need to know is our sin and misery. And that's what we're doing here in Lord's Days 2, 3, and 4. We are studying the depths of our sin, in order that we might live and die in the joy of this comfort. You see, what would happen if we didn't know our sin and misery? Well, you know what we would look like? We'd probably look like a particular person from our other reading in Luke 7. Jesus went to eat at the house of Simon, the Pharisee. It's clear from this passage that Simon Simon most definitely did not know his own sin and misery. And how did that cause him to act? We can see three things from Simon's attitudes and actions. The first thing it did was cause Simon to look down with pride and disgust at the sinful woman who came to Jesus while they were eating. He was disgusted that Jesus let this woman, this sinful woman, do this to him. Simon reasoned in in his heart. If this man were a prophet, he would easily know this woman was a sinful wretch. He would never let her do this. This will happen to us if we truly don't know our sin. We will look down on others for their sin And be blind to our own. Simon was blind to his own sin. The second thing we would do, or I should say we would not do, is like Simon, we would not seek forgiveness and salvation in Christ. Simon invited Jesus to his own home for a meal, but while he was there, he treated uh, Jesus just like his equal. He didn't see any need to put his faith in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins and eternal salvation. And that would be true for all of us if we didn't know our sin. We'd think to ourselves, I'm fine by myself. God will accept me just the way I am. I don't need a Savior. But how wrong that would be. And the third thing would happen if we didn't know our own sin and misery So what we'd do is we would show a lack of love towards God and Jesus Christ. See, Simon the Pharisee did not show much love toward Jesus. And there's a reason for that. He wasn't changed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so his love for God and his love for Jesus was basically nil. And that's where we would be too if we didn't know what we had been saved from. And that's why we must study these things. In contrast to that picture of Simon the Pharisee, look now at the woman in Luke 7. And what a contrast we see in her. She definitely knew her sin and misery. The text calls her a sinful woman, and it wasn't hyperbole. It wasn't just a label from others. It was the truth inspired by the Holy Spirit. She was a sinner. Simon calls her a sinner in his heart. He knew who she was. Jesus knew what Simon was thinking about her, but he didn't deny Simon's judgment. Christ only affirmed it. And this woman knew it all too well. But Jesus told a parable about these two people forgiven a debt and did not hide the fact that the woman had a great debt of sin before God. Now, yes, the debt described in this parable is far smaller than the one in Matthew 18 and the unforgiving servant. That's not meant to teach us that this woman's sin was not very great. Instead, these are two different parables in two different contexts to teach two different main points. The reality is, Jesus is affirming her great debt before God. And again, the woman clearly didn't deny her own sin, she knew it. And she knew she had no hope in herself. And she despaired of getting a right standing before God by her own works. But you know what? That was a good thing. And what did this knowledge cause her to do? Well, she humbled herself. She came to God. She sought God's forgiveness and grace in Christ and in Him alone. That was her only hope. Look now at the effect of this all. She found, she did find free forgiveness in Christ. All her sins, all her great debt, forgiven by God in an instant, at no cost to her whatsoever. She put her faith in the only one in whom salvation is found, in Christ alone, and she found salvation. After Jesus was finished teaching Simon the lesson he needed to hear, he turned to the woman. and He lovingly assured her. Your, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace, says Christ. What wonderful words for her to hear. Knowing our sins is meant to also lead us to experience this peace, the same peace of Christ. Our sins are taken care of. Our debts are wiped away by the one who died in our place. You know, it's the same forgiveness displayed by the king in Jesus' parable in Matthew 18. A servant who owed him a huge amount of debt simply begged for mercy. That's all he could do. In response, the king had compassion on him. He canceled the man's debt completely and freely. He didn't even make the servant pay him one cent. He didn't say, Oh, give me one denarii, we'll call it even. Not even one cent. And that's the kind of forgiveness God gives us in Jesus Christ. And what is that free grace from God meant to do for us? It's meant to stir us up in love for the Lord. And that's where knowing our sin and misery is meant to ultimately lead us. It's meant to bring us to love God. That's the very message Christ makes in Luke 7. Yes, this woman was a sinner. She was forgiven by God's grace. And so she couldn't help but show affection for the one who had saved her. The one who is forgiven much Loves much, says Jesus. And you see that displayed all throughout uh, that chapter in her behavior towards Jesus. Simon, again, didn't know his own sin. So did not love Jesus. He did not seek salvation in him. Beloved, these things are written down in the Scriptures for our sake, to teach us. Know your sin. Acknowledge it. Don't ignore it. Come to Christ. Put your faith in Him for forgiveness and salvation. And then also find the peace and joy of the gospel as you hear God's declaration to you in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Let us now sing together in response to the preaching of God's Word, Psalm 130.